0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Obadiah, as we continue to make our way through this book, we uh, see ultimately uh, a cry, uh, uh, God's sovereignty against those who are proud who are arrogant, who stand opposed to God's people. A glorious promise is found in this book. Although it might seem dark, we see the glorious promise found therein. Um, and uh, But as we have the word open before us, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon this time together. Let's pray. A glorious Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself through creation, through what we see in this world, that you are eternal, you are mighty, but you have also revealed yourself through your scriptures, that we are to know what we are to believe concerning who you are. And Lord, we pray that as we open uh, your words this very evening, that you would do what you did in the disciples, to the disciples in Luke twenty-four that you would open our minds to be able to understand the Scriptures, that we would understand who you are and what you will do. We will understand what is required of us, and our hearts would be moved not merely just to an intellectual thought, but a deep uh, move of doxological praise as we consider these glorious truths in such a small and obscure book. We pray that you would be with us now in the work of the Holy Spirit. That you would be glorified above all. That Christ would be praised. We pray in his name. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Obadiah. I'll be reading from verse 10 to uh, verse 18. This is God's holy and errant life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune." The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head. For as you have drunk on the ho- my holy mountain, and all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But... In Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. The house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord is has spoken. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. This book of great tension, a family feud that has gone on for centuries. this book of those who seek to stand proudly against the people of God, who claim that they are untouchable, who stand in their pride, who uh, persecute the people of God, kick them when they're down. This book of judgment of these people. Challenge for us to be able to see. We see here in this, even in the beginning in verse 15, the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Here this word, the day of the Lord is specifically speaking of judgment coming from the Lord. The God's people will have to face God himself. That as the Egyptians are leaving they're worried about, uh, as the Israelites are leaving in Egypt, and they're worried about Pharaoh's army, what we'll do. And the Lord says that, I will fight for you. You need only be still. And so, too, the Lord steps in to the arena. The Lord steps in to be able to pass judgment upon those who have afflicted his people. This day is near. Not merely just upon the Edomites but upon all nations, as we will see. But here in verse 15, we see a very important, vital aspect of God's judgment. As the Lord says through Obadiah, through this vision, he says, As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Here we see, This vital principle of how God administers justice. Moses records in the the book of Exodus in chapter 21. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, then it shall he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out a tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Here there's a very important principle which says God's judgment will equal the punishment. As we might say, the punishment would fit the crime. This is known as retributive justice. And that's exactly what is going to happen in this last day. The Lord's judgment will be fair. Again, not just upon Edom, but of all nations, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 2. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Find out that this merely is not just a warning just for uh, the Edomites at the time, for we would be very limited in in our scope as we've brought up before to be able to know particularly what uh, day of judgment this speaks of, but broadly speaking, anyone who opposes the Lord, who stands in their proud, full arrogance... That God's judgment is not merely just for the Edomites, but for all people. That this judgment means that everyone is going to be held accountable for their deeds. As Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, the the punishment will fit the crime. Or as he puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That then we're not to pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Each one will receive his commendation from God. Here we see that vital, important thing that God administers justice in a just way. Now, this is important. It's important in two ways. We think of those who oppose God, God's Word. We think of that judgment of all their evil deeds. We think of all those throughout history who have never seen any form of justice administered to them. Their deeds are wicked. I mean, easy ones to go through, or Hitler and Stalin. Think of their impact. Or even just a couple that I came upon. Vlad the Impaler. Again, if you're known as Vlad the Impaler, not a great name to be known by. But here's a prince who killed probably about 20% of the population in the area and region in which he was prince. Or again, Ivan the Terrible. Again, not a great name to be able to be known by. But I mean, you you could go through a a list of short uh, names, I mean, 20 people, and you could see the millions of people that they caused harm to, death through their wicked actions and their wicked hearts. And of course we cry out, judge them according to their deeds, Lord. We want judgment and justice. We want finally all of those people who died in the Holocaust to see a just and and right judge. No one who can be bribed. No one who can be sweet-talked. We want them to be judged rightly, correctly, and administer justice to them. But even if we go down one more level, maybe they're not going to be at the top of the top 20, the top 50 wicked men who's lived throughout history. But in some form of, or way, we acknowledge that they are wicked people. Maybe their names are not known to us, but across the world, who use their power to be able to manipulate and abuse people. Employees who mistreat employers, who mistreat their employees every single day. who shortchange them. Board of directors knowing information and withholding information and causing harm to hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people. Politicians who sit in an office make decisions and those decisions have terrible impacts on society that cause harm to their citizens. That through these, these people, not even the people on the top 20 of wicked people have horrid and horrific actions done against those who are placed under their care. You think, even in today's world, all of these wicked thoughts that are been pressed upon people, actions, things that are being called lawful but are not moral, things that are called lawful and good are actually wicked deeds harmed unto children, harmed unto children even before seeing the light of day. And we cry out, of course we want justice, of course we want to see this wickedness come undone. Even if we're to go a step down and think of these wicked people, people who are sexually immoral, immoral, people who worship false idols, people who who have uh, affairs and adulterers, Men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, the drunkard, the revilers, the swindlers. We say, of course, justice needs to be administered to them. They have broken God's law, not just in a small way, but a great way. And we say, God judge them for their sins according to their judgment. However, I think that leads us to the next second thing that we need to understand that's important with this. That when we think about God's judgment, it's not merely that God's judgment is shown to some and grace to others. And what I mean by that is when we think of grace as merely some just get out of jail free cart, that God does not turn his head just because a Christian sins, that that sin does not go unnoticed, that that sin didn't happen. The punishment is entirely fair. The only difference is we don't receive the punishment. That Christ took it upon himself to receive that punishment for us. That the Father did not go easy because it was his Son. Just because he was doing something nice, that punishment was paid in full. That the wrath of God was satisfied from the sacrifice of his Son. As Isaiah writes in chapter 53, that he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him not stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's not that this, this mode of judgment just merely passes over. And it says that sin didn't exist. Judgment happened and that judgment was poured upon Christ in full. As we see in, in the book of Leviticus as we speak of, of that sacrificial atonement which is made by that, that Passover lamb, that lamb. We're told that the priest shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him and make atonement for sin. Here this: this sacrifice, this burnt offering, is is then ta- is is seen as the sin. And when we think of this, we really truly need to understand that we often put people in categories of us and them, the wicked, and the righteous. And in a sense, we, whatever rank of system we use, we often will just look for someone more wicked than us. We're not as bad as him or them. But that's not true. We are as bad as them. If we think that hell is only for the worst people and heaven is for the best people, then all that matters is the line in the middle. <laughs> As long as you have more people that are worse than you, then you're fine. The difference is not the line in the middle. All are wicked. All are sinners. All are proud. All stand opposed to God. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. No one wants good. No one has good within them to be able to carry out the deeds and and what is required of the law. The difference is not the line in the middle of the wicked and the good. The difference is if Christ is in the middle. The difference is if Christ is your mediator. The difference is actually one letter. Is Christ the judge? Or is Christ judged for you? Paul explains it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That long list that we read before of those people, those wicked people as we would point and say, of course they've broken God's law. And Paul says in chapter 6 verse 11, and such were some of you. The difference then is not that they were not sinners. They were not wicked. They were not breaking God's law. The difference is what Christ has done for them then. Is Christ going to be their judge on the last day or is Christ the one who is judged for them on that day? Paul continues and said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says the difference is if you're washed and sanctified and justified through Jesus Christ and the Spirit applying that to you, that's the difference. We can look and find always someone more wicked than us, especially when our own sinful hearts are twisted and bent to be able to edify things, calling wicked things good and good things wicked. We can always find a reason. But here we rest upon what Christ has done for us, not what we have done. Or as Paul writes in Galatians, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, how then does this change our view of what we think of what Christ has done for us? It should drive us to to worship and adoration, praise to God. No longer do we think we're not like them. No longer we think that, we think we were one of them. And the only difference is not because we went to church, not because we didn't do those particular sins, not because we're as bad as other people. But we become grateful for the grace which is shown to us through Jesus Christ. That the judgment happens, the judgment happens on different days. For the believer, the one who is washed, sanctified, and justified through Jesus Christ, it happened in that moment when the full wrath of God was poured out in full on His Son as He hung on a cross As he breathed his last, as God, he he received his spirit. He was buried in the grave. That should have been us, and yet it was Christ. That was our judgment. That was our judgment day, because Christ took that judgment upon us. He became our sin for us. So when we stand before him in that great day of judgment, we stand before him and say, It is not our payment has been made. The judgment has been rendered. We are guilty. But now we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified by our Lord Jesus Christ. And how does this not affect our worship and praise and adoration? We come before Him not claiming to be righteous, but to be sinners justified. Sinners who are being sanctified. We come before Him praise and adoration. As the hymn says, that we come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And glorious truth that we come, not in our strength, but in our weakness, in our sorrow. But also it gives us great comfort as we think about God. The one rendering judgment. That we would see many things in this life that never will see the light of day. Wrongs done to us. Thoughts, motives, intentions never come to light. The wicked men we saw before. if They don't have their trust in in, in Christ. then they will face this judge. Do we come to Christ to be able to redeem us, to save us? but we also come that we might find comfort in Him? In the first, we find comfort in Him that He he was judged for us. And the next, we find comfort in Him because He is judged for us. He will judge those who sin against us. That we come, as it continues in stanza number four, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. We find comfort in what Christ has done and accomplished. But it shall go further than that, not merely praise and adoration, not merely coming to Christ as our judge and the one who judges, but also it should drive us to evangelism. That Christ saves sinners. And we often think that Christ saves sinners means I am a sinner, then Christ saved me. But if we think about this more broadly, it's not merely that Christ just saved me, but Christ saved sinners. I should be telling sinners that they might come to Christ. That Christ saves all of his people. That a check is only written to the person whose name is written upon it. You cannot cash someone else's check. So Christ, when he died, he wrote all of his people's names on the check. And they're now they're waiting for that check to be shared. We should go unto all people to be able to point out that salvation is for all men who put their faith and trust in Christ alone. We see that this judgment can be paid by Christ. Why not share it? But we also see that it is God's role in this judgment and not ours. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Out here we see God's grace even in his patience in delivering this judgment. As we think about that, that day where judgment is coming, driven to evangelism that we might be able to proclaim God's saving grace, to all who want to hear it, as we warn them this day is near as Obadiah does. But hear this patient that we as believers are encouraged not to be able to pronounce this judgment too hastily, that it's the Lord who is the judge, that He will come. He is the one who will bring light to all things that are hidden in the darkness. And disclose all the purposes of the heart. That we trust not in the timing of any judicial system of any country, but we trust in God's timing for this justice. That we're not then to be able to take things into our own hands and do things however we see fit. But here we see this judgment coming For those who sit opposed to God's people. Again, we're not talking about physical descendants. Not merely those who are in the nation of Edom. But those who, as Paul puts it, those who are true sons of Abraham are not those who share the same DNA as Abraham in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense they share the same DNA. A DNA filled with faith. And this passage encourages those who are spiritually the sons of Abraham to be able to take refuge in God's holy mountain. That in the end, God will comfort them. He shall give them possessions. It will be, the house of Jacob will be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. Think about other Bible passages that speak of God's people judging the angels. But here the people who are opposed the pride comes before a fall. The pride comes and they boast as we read in earlier in verses two and six. This is what Edom was like. They saw aloft like an eagle. There your nest is set among the stars, there you will I will bring it down, declares the Lord. If these came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves if grape gatherers came to you? Would they not have gleamings? How Esau has been pillaged and his treasures sought. But in the end, it's the people of God who hold the possessions. Those who boast, again in verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the lofty dwelling, you say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Here those who are boast filled with pride will be humbled by God. Those who were once aflame will be stubble. The judgment will come and burn them and consume them. Verse 18 explains that there will be no survivor in the house of Esau. Is a dark and depressing thing to be able to think about, but it should bring us great comfort, even as we read through the book of Revelation. There's a great cry that comes out from the people of God of how He will destroy them, as they cry out in verse nine, in chapter 19. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her her immorality, is he avenged on her blood for his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke goes up forever and ever. Here they finally see this judgment and they praise God. A strange thing for us to be able to consider. But when we think about who God is. And this justice which has been administered. But also, when we think about as they cry later on, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It is granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure. It's a glorious comfort in judgment of those who have opposed themselves to God, but a glorious truth when God finally weds himself to his bride, which we have hope through Jesus Christ who bore that judgment for us. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word. Even though there is passages that are hard for us to fathom and understand, Lord, let us trust in you. Let us understand what you have sought to be able to teach us. Lord, of who you are. Lord, that you are just. That you know all things. That you are most wise, most holy. Lord, help us to be able to fathom this judgment rendered to those who are wicked and opposed to you. But also give us thankful and grateful hearts for what Christ did accomplishing for us on the cross, that that sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God, that we, what is due to us is that judgment and condemnation, but what we receive is what Christ gave to us, a glorious inheritance. Help us to be able to trust in you when we are persecuted for your name's sake, knowing that you are a God who is just who will defend us and fight for us. We need only be still. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at SevenspringsPresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. For His glory and His gospel.